Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and I am more than ready to get started. So let's introduce the guys, because I actually want to talk football rather than everything I just got done doing. He is just waiting for the announcement that Sterling Sky Mahomes has now bought the Oklahoma City Thunder and are bringing them to Kansas City, given everything else her family's bought in Kansas City. Jacob Allen is on the podcast. How are you, man? It's only a matter of time. NBA and KC, you know Patrick Mahomes is going to be behind it. He is furious that McCole Hardman did not get a 99 rating on his route running in Madden. Sam Black is on the podcast. How are you, bud? You know, they, that's the creative player stat that McCole Hardman hopes to have. But in reality, it just the game realized that's not a, not a realistic possibility. Well, yeah, what a way to cheapen up a video game when you, when you do know you can go in and edit your rosters. It's just like, ah, oh, that defeats playing the dynasty for way too many hours in a day. And I am Sean Deegan, and I'm ready to talk football and not window prices. So let's get to it. And again, in a week where there could have been nothing initially to talk about, given that as we're recording this today on Tuesday night around 8 o'clock Central Time, July the 27th, the Kansas City Chiefs are now a fully staffed team ready to get training camp started. Both uh, the rookie minicamp wrapped up. Uh, rookies and quarterbacks reported earlier this week and now all veterans have reported as of today it could have been one of those things like oh it's great to see the team and we kind of maybe go over reiterations of things that we've talked about before maybe some new things that got us excited but the nfl decided that the news needed to be broader than just what's going on in kansas city and resolve at least one quarterback controversy that's been going on really since the NFL draft when Adam Schefter dropped the news that Aaron Rodgers was not happy in Green Bay and was ready for a change. Aaron Rodgers has returned to training camp and according to both Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter has a new deal in place. Now, I've got it pulled up here on ESPN.com. There are other stipulations that go into this deal. It is not just about the money. More importantly, it stipulates that 2022 could technically be the last year of his contract 2023 uh, which was the previous uh, last year of his contract will be voided no franchise tag allowed in the future Rogers is now uh, allowed to review the situation at the end of the year with Packers management and decide if he wants to remain a Packer or he will now have the power to stipulate where he plays in 2022. The most vague comment throughout this entire article talks about how there will be, quote, mechanisms will be put in place to address Rogers' issues with the team, close quote. This is one of the weirdest and, and just out there resolutions that I think we've seen in an NFL. Typically, when there's a holdout, it goes one of two ways. Either that player is traded or slash cut, or reports to camp with a new deal um, or is for, I guess the third option would be he's forced to report to camp without a deal, plays out the last deal of his contract and moves on. Never have we seen anything quite like this. So just first off, want to get your guys' reactions to this new con- these new contract stipulations that Rogers has been able to negotiate. Um, Jacob, I'll come to you here first. When you heard the news that Rogers had all these stipulations and new mechanisms, as the article says in place, what was your reaction? The same. It's always been around Aaron Rodgers. He's a diva. 
we're getting closer and closer to this being the NBA, the quarterbacks in the NFL understand just like the guys in the NBA do that they are so important to their teams that they can put their team over a barrel if they'd like to, because they know that the teams value them that much. And that's why Aaron Rodgers got exactly what he wanted. We've talked about Rodgers as much as everybody else has in the off season since he's manufactured news out of no news all off season. But I think we all to the same extent said, you know, he's probably not getting traded. I don't know that we really mentioned a new NFL way to go about things and cut a year off your contract and get to your free agency quicker. Sam, what about you? How do you feel about the new stipulations that Aaron Rodgers was able to, uh, to, to garner from Green Bay at the end of the situation? I mean, this is the failing marriage where they're trying to keep it together for the kids. And in this situation, the kids are the guaranteed money. Once that's off the books, they're gone. So, I mean, next year, what, 2022 was the last year of his – or this is the last year of his guaranteed money, correct? Uh, I believe Leave so, yes. Contract. He technically yeah, has so, more years, but 2023 for these new stipulations voided. Yeah, so this is just going to be the, the, okay, let's get through this year, let's get the kids to school, and then we can address it from there. I, I, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, they're the Packers don't want to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. He's the best chance they have to win. Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to give up. I don't know exactly what kind of money he makes, but good amount of money this year um, just by sitting out and kind of having to play the waiting game until next year. So it, it's a it's probably the best of both worlds for both parties in this situation because the Packers get kind of one more chance at it. And Aaron Rodgers kind of gets his way of, of forcing the changes he wants to see happen. If they're not happening the way he likes, he gets out next year. So it's, I think it, it, it worked out the best it probably could have in the situation that they were dealing with. So here's my question surrounding all of it is, is it Super Bowl or bust then for Rodgers? He's been to two straight NFC championships games. So if they go to the Super Bowl and lose, is he still out? Is it based around what pieces do they go get for him? I think a lot of it – no, no, just to preface my comments, I'll push back on Rodgers as a diva a little bit. I think most top-tier athletes are have a little bit of diva in them because they know they're top-tier athletes. I think you almost have to be that to be elite. I think that for him, it's – for him, I think Sam's right. It's, it's The divorce is coming. But for him, it was more about the lack of communication that he got. I think for this coming season, if, if they do make his, the, the other news that came out with this is that Aaron Rodgers wanted Randall Cobb. The literal next thing is that Green Bay and Houston are in con, are discussions to try and move Randall Cobb from the Texans to the Packers. So I think if there are more things like that, it's a better chance that he stays in 2022. But I think a lot of the damage has been done when there was a lack of communication about what the Packers plans were. For instance, I don't know how if you guys saw the, this is a while back, but the interview Alex Smith did, I think he did it on Colin Coward's podcast. And the only time I'm going to promote Coward in anything on this podcast, hopefully. But Alex Smith talked about how he can't believe that the Packers never once told Rodgers that they were going to move up to draft Jordan Love. He said that that blew him away because when the Chiefs were going to draft Patrick Mahomes, he had people like stop him in the hallway and just be like, Hey man, I know you've heard about this, but you doing okay. Like we want to make sure you still know you're our guy. Like, and there was every effort made 
to make Alex Smith feel like he was still a valued member of the Kansas City Chiefs, despite the fact that the Chiefs had obviously gone out and gotten their quarterback of the future. And I think and Alex, I think in, in many regards, that saved his relationship with Kansas City. So to answer your question, Jacob, I, I now that I've done a way too long a job of prefacing it, uh, my answer, I think 2022, if he's going to stay, it's going to require them going out and getting the guys that he wants significantly more communication from the front office on what their plans are with like draft and free agency. And I'm willing to bet that he needs to have some kind of say, like they at least need to go, Hey, Aaron, if you were going to do what they did with Patrick Mahomes and Clyde Edwards Lair, like Clyde, if you could pick one guy out of all the offensive guys available, who would it be? And Mahomes says Clyde Edwards Lair. And they're like, Oh really? Cause he's at the top of our board whichever came first, who knows, but I think something like that has to be in place for Rogers. To continue my marriage uh, analogy, going out and getting rant, bringing Randall Cobb back and, and doing these little things as couples counseling five years too late. They, they burned most of these bridges with the Jordan love drafting. Um, they did this. The Patriots did a similar thing when they brought in Garoppolo and that was supposed to be the QB of the future. Tom Brady worked his magic and goodbye Garoppolo. But I can't see – I think this is Super Bowl or bust for Aaron Rodgers' legacy, not necessarily for him to stay in Green Bay because I don't see that being a possibility whatsoever because of what happened with Tom Brady last year. Aaron Rodgers looking at Tom Brady, who's go, who went through a relatively similar situation in, in New England, let's be honest – the, the similarities of what they had to deal with of New England didn't put pay, weapons around uh, Tom Brady unless they were old or aging or, or these kind of bit pieces. Same kind of thing happens in, in Green Bay, and they focus on defense. Aaron Rodgers looks at Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers and winning a Super Bowl in his first year at a very advanced age, and he says, okay, what about me? And – I can see him looking at teams like the Saints and being like, yeah, it looks like a pretty good team for me to go to and, and do some damage because they've got weapons, they've got a defense. That'd be a really fun matchup because you get to see for the next three years Tom Brady and, and Aaron Rodgers going up against each other twice a, twice a year. So I, I just don't see it being a realistic possibility that winning a Super Bowl keeps him there. I think it's more for his legacy as – the best Packers quarterback ever. Cause I think he's still, he still has to fight against Brett Favre and Bart Starr and all these guys to be known as the best. Cause again, he's only won one Super Bowl. Uh, I think we, we classify Aaron Rodgers as this all-star quarterback. But again, when we, when it comes down to wins and losses, what we classify as being the best quarterback in the NFL is how many Super Bowls you have. And he has one Patrick Mahomes has one. This is fourth year. So I do going think, on there. Yeah, Rogers is Rogers is kind of actually. I said this to a friend earlier this week. Rogers is kind of a cautionary tale for people who are like Mahomes is going to be the goat. It's like Rogers before Mahomes got there was considered the most talented thrower of the ball that the NFL had ever seen, and due to management decisions and and just you know running into certain buzz saws at times. You know who who knew that you're going to run into you know the Legion of Boom with a guy like Russell Wilson at quarterback is going to stop you and Aaron a uh, Kurt Warner led uh, Cardinals team with such a resurgence towards Super Bowl like they had you know there are a lot of things that stopped him but I think that 
the relationship itself could have been saved even in spite of only getting to one and winning one Super Bowl if these other things had been put in place. You know, letting them know, hey, Jordy Nelson's out. We're not going to move forward with him. Hey, Randall Cobb's gone. Um, even what was this past offseason, he mentioned some lower, like lower level receiver I had never like heard of. I was like, and he was like, this guy, like, I think has a lot of potential. He's really been working hard. And like the next day, the Packers cut him right after all of Rogers comments. So I don't know that necessarily I'm with Sam. I don't know if it's about winning with this team this year. Um, I think it's more about how much control are you willing to give Rogers that would keep him around and then the Super Bowls come after. And then, and then if you're Rogers and you don't get to a Super Bowl, it's like, well, you were wrong. You weren't Brady in the situation where Tom was like, no, I need these things and I can still be a very good quarterback. We'll see. Time will tell. The domino effect of what this could be, we started to kind of, we've talked about in the past, specifically with quarterbacks, that this offseason in particular with Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, before all the allegations came out about him and, and Aaron Rodgers, were really tr- starting to hold their teams hostage. And the teams were standing firm, not allowing anything to happen. Russell Wilson obviously reports to camp and seems to make up with, with uh, management and um, Oh my God, I'm blanking on the coach's name. I can Pete see his Carroll. face. Pete something. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Good Lord. <laughs> and then obviously, you know, Deshaun Watson has his allegations and issues. But even then, there are reports that the Texans, shockingly, are now open to trading him after everything's come out. So the next question is how does this affect the league going forward? Because we've seen this, you know, Jacob, you mentioned before the podcast, the NBA is, is notorious for this. An elite player will be like, I'm done here. James Harden was like, I'm done. I do not want to play in Houston anymore. Get me out of here. Next thing you know, he's gone. The NFL has never really had anything like that. The owners and the front office for, the, for each NFL team have been firmly in control. Um, it's why there aren't fully guaranteed contacts, contracts in the NFL. It's why it's like, you know, you show up and you play out your contract. You have to be beyond elite to make changes. Like even Tom Brady was shuffled out of New England after his contract ran out. It wasn't like they dealt him or anything per Tom's request. So my question to you guys is, how long before we start to see not just quarterbacks, But if Aaron Donald gets furious in L.A. over something with the Rams and says, I want out, how long before we start to see truly the elite be able to dictate kind of how and where they play, depending on how they feel about it? Sam, we'll go in reverse order this time and I'll I'll come back to you. I mean, I think we've we've already seen it happening to an extent. I just think that there's been like with Aaron Donald, it's like Chris Jones these type of situations with these non-quarterback positions, they're getting thrown so much money that it's really hard for them to turn it away and sticking with that team. And it's just, there wasn't another team that was going to throw that money at them. Now, obviously their contract wasn't fully up. These were new contracts within their other contract, but it's just, uh, I don't think it's too far off as far as seeing the elite of the elite. And that's the distinction because, in reality, even like a second team all pro interior offensive lineman will never be able to make that kind of demand. That's just never going to happen. It has to be your top five, maybe lower, less than that at every position might be able to swing some kind of deal with these, but it, it really is 
it's it's coming to an extent, but the NFL, because of the salary cap issues, until that becomes less of a problem, that's what's going to hold a lot of this back because the teams can't players can't force their way out or because the teams won't allow it because they just they can't afford to. They can't just let a player go because it's going to kill them for the next five years because of all the dead cap potentially. Jacob, what about you? When, when the how long do you think before we start to see the elite of the elite really push for their own control of either having a say in how the operations go um, or being able to move move teams where they want to play? Yeah, I'm with Sam. It's got to. It's only going to be the top ten guys in the league that are able to do something like that because of all that money that's going to be with them. I mean. I still don't think you're going to see a Deshaun Watson trade just because of what the Texans have to get back for all the money they're going to be losing. Trading out his contract is going to be nuts. And on top of that, the other team has to be willing on to take on a bunch of money and the amount of picks they have to give up for those players is just insane. And so it doesn't line up the same way. And the NBA, you know, has so many workarounds on salary that they can make it work, which is why the NFL has made, you know, not necessarily perfect, but the best league out of all the leagues and why it has the most consistent following because, you know, guys can't shoot their way out of town as easily. They can do it. It happens. You'll have a guy that wants to be out of town every now and then again, but the numbers have to line up. You have to have a trade partner and they can't be like financially crippling to their team. You know, simple example would be Orlando Brown this year. He was ready to move out of Baltimore and he wasn't being paid a ton. So the Ravens didn't have to, you know, make some massive financial decision. And then the chiefs were ready to trade for him. So it all worked out, but I don't think it'll happen much with people other than quarterbacks. Really. I want to know, like how I, the only caveat I put on that is, is a guy like an Aaron Donald, you know, somebody or a Jalen Ramsey, you know, Xavier Howard, like you guys brought up before the podcast requested a trade. I think those guys have the ability to kind of, push push their way out of town maybe more so than get a say in the operations of the game i think that might be the only caveat i put on that this kind of conversation just fully wants me want wants me to see the creation of something like say a financial tag which is like european football where one player they can put a tag on a player and a team can buy them no consequences just here's like I said, Harry Kane, $200 million. Come play for us. I think, I mean, I think that'd be interesting because that eliminates the ability or the consequences of the salary cap. And again, kind of a winning way of both. Obviously, you're not getting $200 million, but it would be a way of like supplementing the lack of options that, that a lot of these players put teams in because that's the reality is, there are situations that teams just they have to get rid of them because it's just something. I mean, it's just a bad, bad situation altogether. All I think you could do something like that that's similar to the franchise tag in in how the franchise tag takes an average of like the top, I don't know how many players at that position and averages out that salary and says this is now a fully guaranteed amount that you're giving to this person. I absolutely think you could do that. And do something similar to like that. So if you want to go get Aaron Rodgers, that's fine. But you then have to average the salaries of guys like Rodgers, Mahomes, Wilson, Brady. Like you have to take that and be like, I'm going to pay that much for this one guy to come play for me. 
and then rework the contract um, to make sure that it fits. The only thing I see a, a problem with that is, is I think Dallas could potentially make a super team if Jerry Jones really wants to, if he doesn't screw it all up, which is a definitive possibility. I mean, he can only start one quarterback at a time. So if he buys Rodgers, Mahomes, Brady, which you know he would do. He would. I don't think it really matters. And I think he would play them all. I think yeah. he would play He would play a, uh, a Wildcat-style offense, but instead of all running backs, it's just all quarterbacks. And then have like two receivers, and that's it. It's been long enough in the podcast for me to jump in and say, Sam, that is an absolutely terrible idea because loyalty is such a big thing. And this is going to be the Midwest version of myself, but then it's almost the electoral college. It's like, well, the big cities are just going to win everything then because that is what would happen. They would eventually go away from a salary cap or you were capped. Otherwise, you'd probably have it. Let's say the salary cap was like $200 million a year. You'd have a team that would come out and say, we're paying Patrick Mahomes $199 million a year because we want him on our team. We'll figure out the rest of our team with that $1 million. But I think that – but, see, I disagree. I think that Sam's idea actually works because of that. Because in the, in the NFL, parity exists simply because people have a salary cap. The only thing that gets negated when you're buying a player is the dead money that you would then incur from that player. Um, and maybe you're, the consequence of being willing to buy that player is you take on that dead money on top of now paying you know, 40 million. It's, it's kind of like um, first sports crossover reference here of the day. Well, second, technically, because we've been talking a lot of NBA. But like when a major league baseball team wants to sign an international player. So like back when Boston signed Dice Game out Suzaka, they had to pay $50 million for the rights to negotiate with him. And then they signed him to a $50 million contract for like four years. So I think you could institute something like that where it's not just a cut and dry Aaron Rodgers is available. Let's go buy him. And you implement like, well, no, you have, you still have to implement like cap strategy in order to make this work because. Oh uh, yes. Know. Baseball where the markets are very fair and there's <laughs> lots of parody. Yes. It sounds like a great idea, Sean. I thought I was supposed to be disagreeing with Sam. I think you could have I, chosen a worse example than baseball. I realize that the, the overall idea of how baseball runs its business is not good for parity, but I do think the idea of like instituting not a pool, but some kind of stipulations or, or not penalties, but consequences to buying a player, I think could make that work. Again, this is a purely hypothetical conversation, but I wasn't saying like Jerry Jones just gets to open up his checkbook and write a bunch of checks. It right. still has to fit within the cap the cap space structure and there's a certain amount of money that they're allowed to work around with that. But you have to think like if the Packer in that type of scenario, if the Packers were able to sell Aaron Rodgers, that's the amount of money they have now have to go out and buy other players. So they could then flip that around. So that's why I think that kind of situation could be interesting for the future of the NFL, instead of seeing NFL players just be able to force their way into whatever situation, because how is, how is that any different with a no trade clause and an, a disgruntled quarterback? He can pick wherever that he wants to go any. And so if the Cowboys wanted to trade for Dak or instead of Dak, if they wanted to trade for Deshaun Watson before the injury ha or for the allegations occurred, that's no different than Jerry just going out and buying him. I want I do want to know not to steer us completely away from this, but I do want to know like 
maybe factoring in that idea, like, would a super team be possible? Like, let's say, like, because Devontae Adams was talking about how he he quit contract negotiations until they figured out Aaron Rodgers. It was that quick. And then they brought, they got Rodgers' new details figured out. And all of a sudden, uh, Devontae Adams opens up contract negotiations again. Would there be a way where a quarterback, because I think it would have to be a quarterback, could be like, kind of how Aaron Rodgers is now with Randall Cobb. Like I know that Xavier Howard is disgruntled in Miami. I'm willing to sign an extension if you go out and go get him. And all of a sudden Packers now have to give up a first and a third to go get Xavier Howard and then sign Aaron Rodgers to a long-term contract. Could Would a Miami Heat style super team be possible in the NFL? No, because the money's, too constricted with too big a team and players are too concentrated with the fact that the life of a football player compared to the life of a basketball player is very short. So they have a short window to make money. So the only way that works is if Patrick Mahomes like, yeah, I'll take $5 million a year. That's fine. Now go get me everyone I want. That's the only way that kind of situation works is if the quarterback who is obviously the one that takes up the most cap decides to just, take pennies so they can spend it on other players. Jay, you look like you have thoughts. I just wanted to finish this discussion by saying, listen, the NFL is a beautiful thing and I don't want any of you messing with it. So quit throwing these ideas. Out <laughs> second down. We're on the second down. <laughs> we will take it to second down, which by the way, that's, that's actually how I, if I was smart, I would have like instituted first, second, third and fourth down into the podcast ages ago. But for those listening, that's literally how we have it written out on our rundown that we, I send out every week is first down, second down. And if I was smart, I would have all these fun graphics and wonderful sounds on the podcast to in, or even just introduce the topic as second down. But I'm not that smart. So we just go moving on um, and we're going to bring this home a little closer to home to the Kansas City Chiefs with this next topic. And uh, starting by talking about the fact that Steven Nelson, former Kansas City Chief and uh, Pittsburgh Steeler corner, has signed with the Philadelphia Eagles on a one-year up to $4.125 million uh, contract. That's coming from Ian Rappaport. The base salary is worth $2.5, so that's what he's, he is going to get, not necessarily what he could get. So he could get up to just over $4 million on this contract. The reason that this is is now very interesting in terms of how we view the Chiefs is this is now a third free agent that could have filled a significant, what I think we would consider maybe a hole or at least strengthen a group that needs strengthening. When you look at the guys like Steven Nelson, Bashad Breeland, Melvin Ingram, three guys that signed very team-friendly deals. You know, Bashad Breeland, I was looking this up, this is actually on, on Arrowhead Pride's uh, website. Um, I want to make sure I give credit. John Dixon wrote this article, so I want to make sure I give credit where credit's due. But he was writing an article and broke down kind of the numbers to where Bashad Breeland, while his contract is worth up to and maybe a little bit more than $4 million, similar to Steven Nelson, his cap hit is actually basically the same. It's $2.7 million. You look at Melvin Ingram, he's actually the most expensive out of the crew um, in where his deal is $4 million base salary is one point was about $1 million. Uh, and then his uh, signing bonus is just under three. So he comes out to about 4 million total 
he's the most expensive one. All of these guys are guys that could have filled a position of need, especially when you look at how, you know, the Frank Clark situation, we still don't know how that's worked out. There hasn't been anything, any new news on that. And the contracts have been very, very low. And for a team like the Chiefs who are strapped for cash, not in the worst way, but you know, you have to be smart going forward. These contracts seem to have made a lot of sense, especially when you're talking about someone like Bashad Breland, who knows your system, has played very well as a corner. Now you're looking at it and going, man, all these deals that are being signed, it, these could have really helped. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts, um, and Sam will come to you first here. What's your feeling as to why the Chiefs decided to hold Pat with the position groups that they have and not maybe try to be more involved in some of these smaller one-year deals? Well, first, I, I want to address the Steven Nelson one because though this is obviously a, a position of need, that was – I think we had this conversation. We talked about free agency early on this year. That one was never going to happen. Steven Nelson's blood, bad blood with the Chiefs was never going to allow that reunion to occur, in my opinion. So that one doesn't surprise me. But again, the money does as far as what these guys are being paid. Um, and I think it just shows that everyone understands all of these one-year deals are showing that the NFL understands that there's going to be a lot more money available next year. And so they're just like, let's give me my money, give me a little money this year, and then let's go after the big contract next year. Um, the only one that hurts me again is, is the Richard Breland one. Um, that one just still to my, to this day boggles my mind because it's so cheap for a guy that already understands your system. And the only thing that can tell me is that they are in love with one of these young cornerbacks that they have on the roster. My assumption with, as you said earlier, kind of sent us earlier in the week, Sean and text, um, or our conversation in text is that DeAndre Baker's already back on the field after his injury last year, which is, number one, a great thing for the depth at cornerback, but also potentially explaining why they're not going after a lot of these other other players. Hey, what about you? When, when you saw even not any one of these deals individually, but the accumulation of a lot of one-year deals that it seems like in previous years the Chiefs have been willing to go get with guys like Bashad Breeland and now this year with a guy like Alex Okafer, and you see these other guys that we've talked about quite a bit sign for low money, what would you think your rationale was for why the Chiefs stood pat? I think it's, uh, I think it's two part one. What we can all just kind of assume is that with the numbers they've thrown at that position at corner, what we're talking, that they're hoping the guys they have are going to be playing well. And they like them. Like Sam has mentioned that they've got to be in love with someone. That's why I haven't heard much. My other hope is that they understand that the bill is due at this point and they're saving as much money as they can in order for next season when they know they're going to have some big contracts up and they don't love any of these guys they're looking at in free agency. So that's my hope is that they also are kind of looking at the future and saying, you know what, one of these years we're going to have to play kind of a, we're going to have some holes in our roster because of how much we paid to win the Super Bowl and go back. I am, I am curious. I think this is kind of my thoughts on this lead us into our next question, because I think this hopefully, as you say, Sam is indicative of how they feel about their current uh, position groups. You know, one of the things I, I did send that you alluded to Sam is the, the report, the, that 
well, it was written down, basically a transcription of the uh, press conferences for guys like Juan Thornhill and DeAndre Baker who spoke to the media uh, during rookie minicamp. They actually came out with the rookies as opposed to the veterans, which typically it's quarterbacks and rookies uh, that initiate training camp. And then the rest of the veterans come after the fact. DeAndre Baker and Juan Thornhill both showed up with all the rest of the rookies. And both of them have said, yeah, I'm close to 100%. And said, you know, Juan Thornhill talked about how last year he knew physically he was fine, but there was this mental hurdle he had to clear where he knew it was okay to downshift and really explode. DeAndre Baker, I think, is maybe the more remarkable one to me where he's like, yeah, I'm almost 100% um, after his injury last year and, and how late it was in the season. For me, I, I hope that it's indicative of that. They think that those two guys, specifically when you're talking about secondary players, they passed on or let go with Steven Nelson and Bashad Breeland. I'll throw it back to you guys. Um, Jacob will come back in reverse order, go to you first here. Do you, do you think that this could be a positive reflection of where they think guys like DeAndre Baker and Juan Thornhill are at um, coming into training camp? I sure hope so. Uh, Baker looked good until he broke his own leg and then Juan Thornhill has been not necessarily a pariah by any means of just like you know everyone loves him or everyone either loves him or hates him but he has had some up and down play and it has been heavily affected by his speed which you know coming off of whatever knee or Achilles whatever he had something in his leg hamstring did it was what hamstring oh hamstring yeah I mean he did seem to play like not the same guy from year one to year two. Then he came out and had a great AFC championship, and then his Super Bowl left, you know, a lot to be desired. I'm also very positive on Juan Thornhill, and I think the Chiefs know that his health is very attached to his play. Like, I mean, like any football player, but especially when your play is based on speed. Sam, what about you? You do you take the the lack of activity on some of these smaller contracts from the Chiefs as a positive sign towards? guys like DeAndre Baker and Juan Thornhill coming off of injury-filled uh, seasons or, in Juan Thornhill's case, recovering from uh, a hamstring injury previously. Yeah, I think it it shows that they're confident that these guys are going to come back healthy. Um, I actually really like the idea or that they went out with the rookies because I think it was – there. this was actually a big conversation within sports radio today because of the uh, – fact that the Cowboys have announced that Dak's going to play in the Hall of Fame game. And that's been something that these guys have to get out and actually get trust their legs again, trust their body again, because it's hard to understand they've gone through this recovery without now they have to get back to the athleticism that they, they were at beforehand. So I love the fact that these guys are already going out and, and starting that process of, of reassociating themselves with their body. Now it may deprive us of the cool moments like Jamal Charles breaking away and just ducking his head down to run as fast as he humanly can to the end zone. But it means that if they're once the season starts that they're fully hundred percent, I think that is a big reason why we're not seeing moves being made is that they just feel confident in the depth that we have at secondary. I want to correct myself. I said hamstring. It was a torn ACL. So the other side of his leg, I was at least on the leg. But, but hey, uh, they they uh, they complement each other. When you tear something in one side of the leg, the other leg has to com- or the other side has to compensate. So could have been some hamstring issues there as well. Oh, I'm painfully aware of the hamstring <laughs> issues. Let me tell you. 
I do think that it is a it is hopefully a good sign because I do think Baker played well in his one set. as as much as you can glean from a partial start looked good in, in limited time. I think the upside of him is is high enough to where it's he can fill that role of Bashad Breland where he's the bigger physical corner if he is healthy. Um, and Juan Bornhill's healthy over the top because if Juan Bornhill's healthy over the top and is a hundred percent, I think you can play single high safety all day long if he's close to where he was as a, in his rookie year. Because in his rookie year, I thought he was on his way to being a Pro Bowl player and, and potentially a pro, an All Pro down the road. And then you know the next year coming off the ACL injury, so late in the season, he obviously didn't look a hundred percent. We'll see. But if Baker can play anywhere close to the pedigree that you would normally get with a first round pick. I think that does one of two things. One, it allows you to replace Charvarius Ward as your starting corner on the outside and you play Legereus Sneed and uh, DeAndre Baker on the outside, play Fenton at the slot. Or if Charvarius Ward bounces back and plays closer to what he did in 2019, 2018, and you want to maybe leave Legereus Sneed as kind of your swing corner where he's playing some in the slot, playing some outside, blitzing off the edge and allow him to kind of freestyle it a little bit more and play outside corners as Ward and Baker. I just think he offers a lot of flexibility when, if he's healthy for the rest of your team, because he's obviously going to be one of your outside guys. If he can do that, I think it allows for one, a lot more depth but also a much higher potential ceiling for the defense. And, and especially when you're on a team, we're not really sure what we're going to get from the pass rush, especially moving Chris Jones to the outside, Frank Clark situation, relying on guys coming on to their second year that were low round picks or undrafted like Mike Dana or uh, Trishon Wharton. You know, I, I think having an, a, not an elite secondary, but a very good to great secondary could really help alleviate a lot of those concerns. And if Baker and Thornhill are healthy, I think that's where you see a lot of the benefits. And, and obviously explains why they haven't been as active in free agency. It's third down. Oh, see, Jacob, this is what we needed the whole time we started this podcast almost a year ago now is just you doing that between each take. So we are at the third down, our, our third topic of the day, which is, one that we're going to we're going to try and keep as football related as possible because it it does involve covid-19 NFL's uh brought down its new expectations and new rules and punishments that come with outbreaks of the covid-19 virus amongst its NFL athletes uh the NFL recently dropped a memo I'm actually getting this all off nfl.com that put these stipulations out there. Won't go through all of it, but there are some fairly stout penalties for players who are unvaccinated, who have not received the COVID-19 vaccine that cause outbreaks, which cause games to be canceled. So last year, if you remember, which I did not, one of the things the NFL stipulated is that they would be willing to extend the season and reschedule games, even if it didn't necessarily fall within the 18 week schedule at that time, 17 weeks, this now with the 17 games per season, they've extended to an 18 week schedule this year. They are not willing to do that. All games will take place within the 18 week schedule. 
What that means is that if there is a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, and I'm reading this right off NFL.com, on one of the competing teams that the club will forfeit the contest and will be responsible for the lost payment to the VTS pool. So essentially what that means is that both the team who caused the outbreak due to an unvaccinated player, it's a very specific stipulation. If it is an unvaccinated player that causes a COVID outbreak that causes a game to be canceled, that team will forfeit the game and be responsible for the money lost. The team will, not the player, but the team will be responsible for the money lost by the NFL on the on what they would have earned on that broadcast. The other thing is that both teams, whether the other team had any wrongdoing or not, if it was one team that caused the game to be canceled or both teams, if one team did everything right, it doesn't matter. Both teams if a game is canceled, will forfeit that week's game checks. So the players on either team in that game will not be paid for, for the game, regardless of which team it was that caused the outbreak. A lot of, lot, and there's a lot more that goes into it, but those were kind of the highlights that grabbed the nation's interest. Um, we've actually seen coaches be let go recently because they were not vaccinated and were not planning to do so. Uh, Minnesota Vikings actually restructured. They let a, an offensive line coach go and then re kind of structured their, their coaching staff to where that coach would now be a, a higher up offensive assistant that wasn't necessarily directly in contact with the players so that he could retain his job. That, let, let's be clear about that one. That's because there was a lawsuit on the way. Oh, for sure. That has nothing to do with them trying to keep him. That is, they were going to get sued for that. I agree. But I also think that that could be prominent throughout the NFL because of these rules. So before we we dive into this one, let's talk about why these things were implemented. Jacob, you kind of brought up these questions as maybe a philosophical idea. Why do you, why did the NFL implement these? Is it do whose interests do they have at heart? The player is it the safety of the players or coaches, or is it the financial interest of the NFL? Because I do think that's important to to establish. Because it kind of while it could be a good thing if people get vaccinated and aren't as susceptible to COVID nineteen, that is a lot for an employer to put on its employees. So whose interests do you think it has at heart? Do you think that this will actually force players or actually we'll actually see an increase in vaccinations probably a better way to say that from athletes and coaches um jacob i'll come to you here first uh one second i'm still writing down the six questions you asked me i was going to say i did a very poor job of succinctly asking those questions um to be thankfully they're right in front of me (laughs) that's why we send these things out we know i'm not going to remember them you know, I do think the NFL is just worried about their players and their health. I, I think that's their main concern in this situation. No, I mean, it's all financial. And actually, I hadn't heard the uh, part of it that the team will pay back the lost money. That is insane and kind of awesome in a way. But, I mean, the NFL clearly has their own interests at heart because they have nothing to lose based on the stipulation that they put out there of, well, if you lose this money, we get the money still. And because 
the other big financial part of this is I, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Sunday night football or Monday night football, or even maybe a Thursday game. One of the, and I'm putting this in quotations, prime time games, because we all know Thursday games suck. But when Lamar Jackson went down with the coronavirus, that cut into their profits. Not as many people watch those games because they're like, why do I want to watch the Ravens backup versus whoever it was? I Maybe the Steelers, but I think first and foremost, it's, you've got to look and say, you know what, it's financial. Does it convince any players to get the vaccine? I think it puts a little more pressure on some guys in their own locker room. You're like, dude, if you spread this to all the rest of us and lose all paychecks, we will never forgive you. So there's going to be that part of it too. Do I think that, you know, gets the craziest of the crazy people to get it? No, but I still think there are some people that are, you know, as we've talked about, just eh, if it's convenient, I'll do it, I guess. I'm a young, healthy person, and all these guys consider themselves that way. I mean, we're all – the three of us are all NFL age-ish, somewhere in there. But so we understand their mindset to an extent. But I think, number one, you've got to say it's financial. Technically, Jacob, we're all on the downside of our careers. If you're talking about NFL we're, athletes, we're about we're counting months year. now. Yeah, we're on the I month period. Yeah, we're on we're, the north side. We're on the downside of thirty. All of us now. So we're hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm 29. We uh, we're all demanding that players be traded to our teams because we're worried about our NFL legacies at this point. <laughs> is what you're saying? We're that age. Yeah, and one stipula- one one thing I do want to throw into this is that the NFL did state in the memo that they will attempt to reschedule a game but if it does not fit within the 18 week season that's when the game will be forfeit by whichever team caused the outbreak um sam how do you feel about all the things i tried to ask jacob and did a very poor job of so firstly again i think we're just going to any of our checks that eventually come to us from nbc or nbc or any of these we might just have to send to fox news after or fox sports after this because uh we're using all of their stuff, but Dan Patrick had a great quote of this is not a red or blue issue. It's green because that's what the NFL sees. The NFL is a reactionary league. And why I say that is let's, let's look back at player safety rules, rules that have been put in place to protect the players. What spurred that thing about Tom Brady, when he got hurt by Bernard, Bernard Pollard, that eventually led to great times in the Kansas City Chiefs kingdom, let's be honest. But what happened? Protection of the quarterbacks because they saw a loss in revenue after or one of their biggest stars went down, resulting in a loss of revenue. When, unfortunately, you start seeing guys like Junior Seau committing suicide because of mental issues that he occurred likely from concussion-related illnesses, concussion-related issues, they start taking taking more serious data on the concussion protocols and and how they do this. So this is a reactionary statement to ensure that number one, that it looks like it does look like they're trying to keep the league healthy to an extent. That's great. That's showing that, okay, we're, we're trying to in a roundabout way, almost force these players to get a vaccine without being requiring it essentially. Um, they're, they're cutting into what the, a lot of these guys care about, which is their pocketbook. And by doing that, they're going to make that vaccine a little more enticing because they don't want to lose money. 
But at the end of the day, it means that they're going to eliminate a lot of potential loss. Now, let's be honest. The NFL, I almost guarantee the NFL will not cancel a game this year. They will figure out a way to put it in there somewhere. That's just the way the NFL works. They're going to try to find at any time they will try to make money off of off of the games. And, and by canceling one, it's a lot of money lost. I was actually surprised when you brought it up that they had to pay back the um, television revenue. I would I didn't know that. I knew they had I know knew the team had to pay back like travel restraint or travel payment and things of that nature. I was also unaware of the television. So that's a big change for me to that. But yeah, it's a it's a money-driven decision 100 percent the players don't play into this the only thing that i mean it's a good market piece that yeah we're we're requiring i mean we're trying to make this a requirement without requiring it essentially will it make more players get the vaccine not your deandre hopkins of the world but i guarantee you that that you know the 54th guy in the roster that guy that's barely making it He's going to for sure get that vaccine because that's one less paycheck he could get. So I guarantee you, you start seeing a lot of the the lower level players getting that vaccine if they haven't gotten it yet, because they realize that, oh crap, if I cause this outbreak, number one, does that mean I might not have a job the next year? Because if a team loses a game because I caused an outbreak, I don't think you're making the roster next year. That's a pretty big chance. Um, and secondly, it means that there's one less game check they're going to get. Also, shout out the Chiefs because we are at 90% vaccination for players and 100% for coaches. So we shouldn't be losing any any games because of vaccine problems, hopefully. Knock on wood. That's the part I hope the NFL – I haven't gone through the whole memo yet, so I haven't seen if they've stipulated this yet. But that is the part that it still worries me is that – to your point, Sam, the Chiefs do have a very high vaccination rate. And James Winchester, who is vaccinated, has been since March, apparently, just got put on the COVID reserve list because he has COVID-19. And they brought in a long snapper to kind of help, you know, stem the tide for a while. But how do you... Is his name Jacob Allen? I wish. God. You know, I nearly, I nearly tweeted that out. Did they contact me- you, Jacob? I nearly, I nearly asked Sean to quote tweet them getting this long snapper to say something about it through the our uh, actual podcast account, but uh, you know I didn't get that call. So fax machine, fax machine must have been down. Fax machine, <laughs> that's definitely a problem. Yeah, but that's that's the that's the only thing I hope that they stipulate is that the players who are vaccinated and still get code because. I get there's a lot of misinformation about out there right now with, with COVID-19 vaccinations, but one of the things that comes with a COVID-19 vaccination is not immunity. It's just your system handles it far better and knows how to fight that virus more effectively. And to this point, that's what we've, what the news has been is that the symptoms of COVID-19 have been drastically less uh, life altering than what they were before the vaccine existed. They are actually, in fact, incredibly mild and in most cases asymptomatic, but you still have it. So what happens if there's an outbreak on your team, but the person who causes it is, is fully vaccinated, which is, again, unlikely, but we just saw a fully vaccinated player on the Chiefs catch COVID. That's my only thing I really hope that the NFL stipulates the other thing that I, I, I do want to get your guys' opinions on, because we kind of 
maybe glo- not glossed over, but having dove into this is that both teams lose a game check, whoever, whichever team causes the outbreak. That to me is a problem because let's say it's a team like the Chiefs who's 90% vaccinated as of right now and maybe come games, you know, regular season games, the 53 that they pull are 100% vaccinated. The staff, according to Andrew Reid, I think, I think last he said was 100% vaccinated. Um, and that team is the one that forfeits a game check because somebody else on the other side, probably going to be the Bills because Cole Beasley doesn't, doesn't want to, you know, is one of those guys who's resistant to vaccinations. Go follow it on Twitter. It's amazing. But that's, that's something that I have, I take issue with is that even if a team does everything right and is forced out of playing their game, they no longer earn a game check. Um, I did want to get your guys' reactions to that and, and see maybe what, where we think about what a potentially a different way of doing it might be if we have an option for that. Um, Sam, I'll come to you here first. What was your reaction when you heard that both teams, regardless of which team causes the outbreak, loses a game check? That was the only aspect of this, of this new policy that I thought was total BS. There, I get where they're kind of coming from that, oh, the team's not making money. We should, they shouldn't have to pay. But at the same time, it's like they, they worked for a week. They worked for four days, missed the last day of work. And so the boss is like, I'm sorry, you're not getting, getting your pay, paycheck for this week. Because that's the reality is these guys do work. We only see the one day they work all week long during the season um, to prepare their body, to recover, to work out all of this. And we get to see them play for one, what, three hour period on a Sunday, um, Sunday, Monday, hopefully not Thursday most of the time, but it, 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 but there's a lot more work that goes into that. And so stripping that paycheck away from guys that have done everything to meet these requirements is, is really a, like I said, it's kind of BS. And and if they wanted to skirt around it, I'd make the other team pay the, pay the players. Whoever, if, if a team forces a game to be canceled because their team is not vaccinated, they should have to pay the other players, something of that nature, because that, that is where I don't agree with this, this policy whatsoever. Jacob, when you saw that both teams would lose a game check, regardless of the wrongdoing and where that fell, what was your reaction? Sam, your analogy about not getting the paycheck on time, that, that one I think hit a little too close to home. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> you, you felt that one. You felt that one. I, felt, I felt that a couple times. I've, I've been there. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm a teacher. They pay you so little that they're not that concerned about giving you the paycheck. The problem is that was the same way with me, except they decided still not to give it to me. <laughs> they, they figured you wouldn't notice. Yeah. They're just like, ah, we pay them so little. What about if we just stop paying them? Will they know? <laughs> hey, who says rivalries are dead in the NFL? We won't see any more players exchanging jerseys after games if another team, you know, if the Raiders came to town and got the Chiefs game canceled. There would be some real hate between those two teams of them not getting paid, and the Twitter feud would be hilarious. I'm with you guys. I think it's, it's ridiculous that they're trying anything they can to get players vaccinated and keep their money. That's, yeah, I was going to say, that's the only thing that concerns me is just the financial aspects of it. If, and I get what the NFL is trying to do by like not enforcing vaccinations, but 
doing everything possible to make it so that if you get vaccinated, your life is so much simpler. Because even before all of the, the COVID-19 penalties came out for outbreaks, they had a release that was agreed on with the NFLPA and the NFL where your life as an NFL athlete is way easier if you're vaccinated. This to me does seem like an overstep where it's not even just not fair, it's not right, where somebody who puts their body and their well-being on the line every week doesn't get paid because of somebody else's wrong, or not wrongdoing, but somebody else's actions that cause the game to be canceled. Yeah, and I think ultimately the the wrap-up of this conversation is, is for me, the NFL is really doing everything in their power to make COVID go away. Not the virus, the conversation. They don't want to have to continually put out press releases and continually have the questions asked during the, the press conferences after a game. They want it back to the way it was two years ago. They want to just play football and, and get rid of that. And a way of doing that is, yeah, not having to test every day, not seeing players, seeing the players' faces, not having to see them in masks, things of that nature. So their ultimate goal is, is they want COVID to not be a factor in the 2021 uh, football season. We'll see. It's going to have major implications uh, throughout the year. We've already seen it affect some teams with coaching staffs and players. So hopefully it doesn't affect the NFL season. I feel like a really easy way would just be cancel all Thursday night games, play all games on Saturday and Sunday. And then if you have to reschedule, do a Thursday game because it's already a crap game. Last topic for the night. Jacob, do you want to take this one real quick just to introduce us? It's fourth down. Beautiful. We're assuming that from now on. Uh, last topic for the day, another, another one where we're going to kind of tiptoe a little bit or potentially just run through a brick wall. We'll see how this goes. The Chiefs decided to, amongst other things, retire war paint. Probably still going to be the glue that holds the Chiefs team together. That's uh, a terrible joke. I'm going to cut that later. But uh, now leave it. I was going to say insert Eric Berry horse joke. All Twitter did. I had a whole thing about like, even though she's going to a farm upstate, she'll still be the glue that holds the team together and just all kinds of horribleness that PETA surely would have canceled this over. Dude, if we get in a feud with PETA, (laughs) we've made it. That's all I got to say. I've dealt with those people before. And if we, if we can start that, we're, we're golden. I'm in. I'm in for that fight. I'm down with that one. The Chiefs did deci- did make the decision. Mark Donovan, president of Kansas City Chiefs, did state that they are no longer going to ride uh, war paint prior to the games, citing that they don't want to culturally appropriate uh, Native American tribes' cultures and, and be insensitive to that. They've already tried to do certain things like discouraging the tomahawk chop, which is very different than um, banning the tomahawk chop banning headdresses and things of that nature at Arrowhead Stadium uh, to try and be more sensitive and and accepting of of Native American culture and history, uh, not culturally or appropriate or demean or disrespect those cultures. This is another step towards that, which brought us the question in light of the Cleveland Indians changing their name um, to the Cleveland Guardians, which I actually think is a pretty dope name. Their logo just needs some work. How long before the name Chiefs is retired and they have to find a new name. I have a pretty simple thought on this. Just bring back Kansas City Kings. 
we've already got Royals. We've already got just just do Kansas City Kings. It's an easy fix if if Chiefs are ever retired. But did want to pose the question: How long do we think they will hang on to the Chiefs moniker uh, before retiring that? Sam, we'll come to you first here. Yeah. So before we answer this, do you guys know where the name Chiefs come from? I've heard multiple things. I don't off the top of my head. I'm sure I've read it. And this is where the argument and and I'm not I'm not I will come back around on this conversation because I'm not defending the Chiefs name. But the name Chiefs is actually not originating from Native American culture, per se. When we moved the team from Texas up into Kansas City, the mayor of Kansas City was Harold Bartle who was an active member in the Boy Scouts and started an organization called the Tribe of Mikasei, which is very culturally inappropriate in its own right, which I won't dive into, but his nickname was the Big Chief or the Chief because when they moved to Kansas City, the Hunts took the Chief as the name and then slowly started to kind of culturally appropriate Native American culture into it. So that's where actually that's the interesting aspect is the name chief. They didn't arrive it or derive it directly from native native American culture. They took it from the mayor of Kansas city who had in turn culturally appropriated through the scouts basically. (laughs) So that's kind of an interesting conversation. Again, the minute of chief's history for our new chiefs fans didn't realize that that was the situation of the chief's name or didn't know that the chiefs didn't always play in Kansas city, that they were once known as the, uh, the Texans. Thank what God we got rid of that moniker because that Dallas Texans disaster. Dallas Texans, that's correct. They were the Texans. Um, no, they were. Which yeah. Thank God we got rid of that crap. But no, I <laughs> I think it's it's inevitable um, that this is that the Chiefs will likely come to an end as far as the fr- franchise. What I'm going to say is if we win the Super Bowl this year, it happens next year that they go out on a with a bang, just saying, "All right, Chiefs going out with a bang in the Super Bowl, and we're going to." rebrand ourselves as this and i think the first step losing war paint it was gone in the 1980s what was it 1989 they retired the the headdress uh or war paint and his rider as the mascot and brought in casey wolf they brought back war paint in 2009 or 2010 something like that relatively recently so losing him losing her again excuse me is not a big deal but I think you'll slowly start to see less and less Native American imagery being utilized within the Kansas City organization. Again, we don't use that much. We use the Arrowhead, which is kind of a toss up there. But I think just as a to, to eliminate any question, to just not even have it be part of the news, I think that the, they'll likely slowly move away from being the Kansas City Chiefs and try to identify a new new title which I'm all for, again, the Kings, Monarchs. Some, I mean, it'll be impossible to utilize the Monarchs because obviously that's such a historic franchise, but um, something of that nature where it goes along with the Royals. Jacob, how about you? How long do you think before the, the moniker Chiefs has retired in Kansas City? As a white male, I am overqualified to answer this question. <laughs> In honoring my white male heritage, uh, I'm going to tell everyone else what is going to happen. Well, let's hear Jacob they real quick. I have a way that we can answer this to, to have a white male's opinion within cultural appropriation. Sean, when the Boston Celtics have a leprechaun on their logo, do you get offended? Only when they lose. <laughs> 
<laughs> For the audience that has not watched any videos, Sean is very Irish. He has very red hair. Painfully so. <laughs> He's not a full leprechaun, but but he is a, a very Irish person. Uh, no, I actually disagree with Sam. I don't think Chiefs is going away because I think I've heard it from certain Petro a number of times. They're going the Warriors route of this, the Golden State Warriors. Nobody is upset with the Golden State Warriors anymore. And that's, I think, where the Chiefs are headed is to just take away any association with Native Americans. I think the real discussion would be, is the Arrowhead symbol, their current logo, is that going to be retired? Because I could see that just saying, you know what, let's disassociate from that altogether and just make it, hey, we're the Chiefs. Here's the Chiefs. Here's the Kansas City skyline in the background. Sean, I like Kansas City Kings since Monarchs now is being used by the T-Bones. We could go as lame as the Dallas Texans and just be the Kansas City oh, Kansas. No. Kansas City well, oh, and that wouldn't God. even make any sense either since it's the Kansas City Missourians. And they already have the Houston Texans, and they're terrible. I don't want to be a Texan. <laughs> the Kansas gross. City Missouras. Kansas City Missourians. <laughs> Missouras, but it's spelled with an A. <laughs> yes. Reasons. I'm in. No, and I think I, th- I get your point, Jacob, as far as the, the conversation of the Warriors. I just think that the word warrior and the word chief are very different as far as what they if you say warrior, there can be a lot of connotations to that in a multiple different not even saying any kind of appropriation aspect. There's just a lot of connotations within what that word means. The word chief is a lot more narrowed, especially when we think about where we are located within the world, the Native American connotation of what a chief is, is much more dictated than the word warrior. Because so that that's my only conversation. I do agree with you, though, that the first step is going to be, like I said, the removal of any kind of cultural appropriation imagery. The arrowhead to start with, I think is the big thing. Yeah, and I, I do think those are all valid points. Again, I'm overqualified as a white male to say this, but there's a way to spin chief into something that has nothing to do with Native American culture. You can be the fire chief and have fire truck. <laughs> you can have everything, you know, fire related. I mean, it would be kind of cool to just every time they come out, flames everywhere, their jerseys are flames. I mean, don't make it too arena league, but I mean, you have command. I think we go full arena or, league. I was going to say, or go full arena league and just do fire everywhere. That'd be dope. So, 50 different ads on the jersey. <laughs> and here's the most mind-boggling one to me is that this is is this one about money because if you change the name slash logo, you're going to sell a lot more gear, but you're also fighting, you know, the old white males like, well, why are they getting rid of Chiefs? I've, that's what I've always known and I like that. It's not offensive. So I do wonder, too, where they fall out on that line. Because I think more so they're like, we like the history of it. We don't want to go through the name change, but how can we keep the name without, you know, upsetting a bunch of people? And that's why I think you haven't seen a drastic jump either on all of this is because they're slowly just phasing things out and hoping people don't notice over time. Right. Which makes sense. I mean, I was thinking about this earlier today and I, as, as someone who tries to be progressive and sensitive, I am as resistant to change as anybody else. And I think specifically in the Midwest, we tend to be more resilient to change and, and really dislike it, maybe more so than our, our brethren and, and sisters on the coast um, who just kind of go with the flow or whatever the case might be. We like how things are. Um, and I think that 
fans of Arrowhead probably would find a change in name very difficult initially. Well, I mean, the fact that our stadium is called Arrowhead. Right. Like, for now. For, for now. now. They are working Yeehaw. on that. It's already G-E-H-A at Arrowhead Stadium or something like that. It's Yeehaw. <laughs> uh, one more before we get too far off track, just from, you know, like the changing of traditions of the Kansas City Chiefs franchise. The Tomahawk Chop, of course, and I'm pretty sure they have not played the actual music for like three years now. I think that was kind of around the same time. They're like, let's get rid of headdresses. But of course, people still do it. And that's another one that's going to be tough for them to get people to stop to do. You can just ask anybody who attended the K-State sporting events of just how many times they've tried to get them to stop saying the F word towards KU, not even at KU games. It's just not something you can change, which could be the final straw of the Chiefs saying, hey, you know what? You guys aren't going to stop the tomahawk chop. We're just going to change the name. That's fine. But also, if they go with the fire chiefs, everyone's just doing a siren together. I'm on board with that. If if Mahomes' jersey, like his his sleeve, is just flames, and and they have like water spouts on the sideline, and in addition to their fireworks and flame that they do pregame, I'm on board. Just mid December, just, just shoot the crowd with water. Yeah, it man. just happened too late because you just have to imagine Anthony Sherman riding in on fire truck. Oh. <laughs> What a miss up! <laughs> but would that appropriate fireman? <laughs> I think we're going into the weeds too much. <laughs> we're, we're diving way too far in. Diving way too far in. Uh, and also, the final thought on this, this would be a much easier conversation if the Chiefs were not a good football team. Right. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, hey, we can get attention. Great fantastic all right folks that's going to do it for us tonight we appreciate you joining us as always uh especially on tonight which was kind of a a, an episode with a lot of wide-ranging topics that have maybe not direct football implications but stay tuned because we will have actual training camp and actual potential football news as we go forward so until next week y'all stay safe out there and, and we will talk to you next week